We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hello, I'm Brandon Perna, host of That's Good Sports, a 10-minute-ish daily NFL comedy podcast. Have you ever wished for a crappy version of The Daily Show, but only about the NFL? Then, first and foremost, I implore you to dream much bigger. Secondly, I would recommend subscribing to That's Good Sports. Every weekday, I will be giving you NFL news, telling questionable jokes, and swearing just enough so you won't ever be able to listen with your kids in the room or car. I don't ask for a lot, but if you don't subscribe on iTunes, my wife said she will leave me. Thanks, and I look forward to putting my voice in your ear holes. All right, guys, what's going on? Welcome into another BuzzBeat episode. I'm Richie. We'll be joined by co-host Brian today. On today's episode, we're going to continue our segment, One Stinging Question, for the Hornets roster. If you didn't catch last week's episode, we tossed around a burning question for Cody Zeller, Bleak Monk, and Marvin Williams. So we are going to do a little bit more of the same today and dive into some more overarching questions surrounding a few more of the Hornets players on this roster on the podcast today. And then we're also going to get into some quotes from Mitch Kupchak and just kind of touch upon some of the thoughts that Zach Lowe and Kevin Arnovitz talked about on their podcast uh, a couple days ago. Just a reminder, we are a member of the Blue Wire Network and you can find our episodes on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite podcasting app. Before we get into the episode, Brian, how's everything going with you? Things are good, man. Um, excited for basketball season and, uh, yeah, no, things are good. I've got a trip, Richie, this weekend planned. I'm, I'm headed up to Montreal with some friends. So I'm heading north of the border for the second time this summer, which I'm very excited about too. Uh, but in the meantime, looking forward to talking some, uh, some NBA basketball here. And Montreal is like, what, like an hour over the border? Like it's not, it's not too far, is it? It's not too far. Yeah. I went to Vancouver earlier this summer and that, that's fairly close to Seattle up there too, but just having to go cross country like that. Right was uh was a bit was an expedition but this so this will be much easier and uh yeah i'm looking forward to it and uh wanted to go to montreal for a couple years so if anybody has suggestions uh montreal let us know (laughs) let us know on twitter and uh, i'd be happy to check those places out all right brian so let's let's lead it off with some media quotes from a media luncheon right um uh, just bullet point list of some things that were addressed at media media day yeah, today was the, uh, we're doing this on Tuesday, the 24th. Today was the annual media luncheon uh, for for Hornet, for the Charlotte Hornets and uh, local media. I know there were a lot of people on the scene there, but I uh, was sort of following along with Rod Boone from The Athletic and Rick Bunnell from The Observer. And we'll, we'll mention Bunnell later in this episode as we talk. Uh, Mitch Cup checks some too. But, you know, I thought there was some sort of just generic off-season leading into a new season conversation. James Borrego saying he was focusing on defense and accountability of course these are the things that you're going to say with basically any team but especially that a young team that's heading towards a rebuild uh Borrego also said he considers Rozier and Bacon as the two leading candidates to replace Kemba Walker as the team's leading scorer that's both uh not a surprise I figured those guys would be 
uh, you know, at the top of the list in terms of minutes and usage rate and field goal attempts. Um, it's also pretty, <laughs> it's pretty darn bleak too. Um, <laughs> considering the the hole that those two guys are going to be trying to fill. And we'll talk more about Terry Rozier in a little bit too. Um, but I would expect those two guys plus Malik Monk to be at the top of the list in terms of uh, usage rate this season for the Hornets. I thought the stuff that was uh, two bits that we'll run through real quickly that I thought were a little more uh, notable. One was uh, Malik Monk has reportedly added 20 pounds of weight this offseason, which had me immediately go over and check his basketball reference page to see what he was listed at last season, which was 6'3", 200 pounds. So I, I was skeptical that he could have ballooned up to 6'3", 220. I don't think uh, that, that would look exactly what, you know, the, the look that Malik would be headed for unless he got super chiseled in the offseason. But uh, as Rick Bennell responded to, uh, to a tweet of mine, um, along with uh, one of our listeners at MC. L-E underscore M-A. I don't want to mispronounce him on Twitter, but this guy's one of the best Hornets followers out there. But uh, Benel getting back to us on Twitter and saying that, yeah, the 200-pound number the Hornets had Monk listed at last season was high was in fact bogus uh those were <laughs> uh, i believe rick used the the bs was his was his term there so yeah assume you we'll see what he looks like comes preseason we'll see if that added weight can help him at all perhaps on the defensive end and yeah apparently malik monk has put on 20 pounds of weight this offseason uh perhaps you know dwight howard lost the 20 pounds and it was given to uh malik monk as apparently dwight howard has done every summer for the last six or seven years and- We've heard this, Brian, from several players over the past couple of years, whether it's uh, Kaminsky or Hernan Gomez and, you know, just players getting yeah. in better shape in the offseason, which is all fine and dandy. But like it doesn't always translate over to the basketball court. I think it's it's you know, it shows dedication. It shows that they're trying to get better in the weight room uh, and yeah. hopefully it translates to the court. But again, if you're going to put a lot of stock in this, you're probably going to be fooling yourself. Yeah, I think so, too. I, I guess my one thing would be there was obviously a. There was there was a good bit of frustration from parts of the of the fan base and people that follow and cover the Hornets. There was frustration and surprise would maybe be the two words I would say for why Malik Monk didn't go to Vegas with the team this summer. I think some of that concern is perhaps justified, but if you can turn around and say tangibly, "Hey, I, I packed on 20 pounds of muscle this offseason," like if that's legit, uh, credit to, to Malik Monk at least for for doing that. And then I thought the other notable. A piece of information out of uh, the media luncheon today was Charlotte will reportedly hire another coach who will float between Greensboro, where the G League, the Swarm is, and Charlotte with the Hornets this season. Um, I like this move a lot, and I'd be curious to know how common this type of position is in the NBA. But for uh, for a team that's focused on player development, and that is what this position, the, the Hornets reportedly said that this position coach or this coach will, will be focused on player development, which is a big buzzword of the team uh, after Kemba left and coming into this season. They're, they're really, really focused on on player development. But I like this move, especially as this is we're really in, in year two of the G League being a legitimate asset. They, they've made this a, a real thing. It's a real part of the organization now. And I think having one more person to work, not just as a liaison, but someone that can help connect those two for young guys that will be spending time in Charlotte and in Greensboro. So Cody, yeah. Cody Martin, perhaps PJ Washington, uh, maybe Devonte Graham, et cetera. The, there are, you know, we're going to see those guys and whomever fills this position, I think there is some value. And again, I'm not totally sure how uh, prevalent this position is in the NBA, but if it's if it just seems like a like a forward thinking move and, and hats off to the Hornets for for checking that off. Again, we've seen good teams, the Raptors who just won the title, they made they turned their G League affiliate, the Raptors nine of five, into a legitimate asset. And there was uh, there was it, it, the G League and the parent club, the Raptors. They were they were connected, and we've seen guys that played on both those rosters the last three years have huge impacts for the Raptors: Pascal Siakam, Fred VanVleet, Lorenzo Brown. The, the list goes on. So 
again, I'm not obviously I'm not comparing the Swarm to the Raptors 905, and certainly not the Hornets to the Raptors here. But I, I think this is a, a smart move, and, and I do give the Hornets a little bit of credit for uh, yeah. for wanting to create the position. And I think, like you said, we don't know how prevalent this is around the league, so this could be forward thinking, or or it could not be. We never know. Yeah, uh, but yeah, hard to say. <laughs> but uh, it's definitely an interesting hire, and it'd be interesting to see like how this coach spends his time in Greensboro versus Charlotte, like. I'm assuming the majority might be in Greensboro and just kind of go back and forth and float, but yeah, you know, can they kind of have that continuity between the the G League team and and the NBA team is, is definitely good, and we do have a lot of players that are you know potentially going to be visiting both both teams, and mm-hmm. that kind of leads us to our first question here. One stinging question with PJ Washington. I know there were some quotes floating around there that he might be playing some time in Greensboro, so the question that we're going to get into today for PJ is where does PJ Washington fit into this Charlotte Hornets rotation? Like most lottery picks, like PJ Washington was drafted 12th overall. You have high hopes for these players to come in and play and produce, especially in a situation like Charlotte where there's a lot of young players, but there has been some rumors out there that PJ Washington could be sent down to Greensboro for some time and we did see the benefits of that with Devontae Graham and Dwayne Bacon last year. I'm not sure how beneficial it is uh, in my eyes, especially with the team that we have now. You might as well just play him in Charlotte. If he can see, I don't know, double-digit minutes, I think that's going to be good enough for a rookie for P.J. Washington. I know that he's got a couple of players that he's going to be competing against when it comes to the rotation. We did not get to see him in Summer League uh, due to the injury, and he suffered this injury uh, his sophomore year in Kentucky, sat out during the pre-draft process at certain points, and Charlotte thought it was best for him to sit out in Vegas as well. And yes, you know those games don't matter, so now he's recovering for full health, mm-hmm. and he should be cleared and ready to go. I think before we get into the question, where does he fit in this rotation, I do want to get, you know, I know we talked about this on the post-draft pod, just kind of his skill set. I think we want to recap that first before getting into maybe where he's going to fit in when it comes to the time on the court in Charlotte. So, you know, you look at his numbers at Kentucky, Brian, and there's a lot to like. I think a lot of the advanced numbers you look at, he led Kentucky in. He was definitely near the top on some of your traditional stats. You know, he had a solid 57 effective field goal percentage, offensive rebounding percentage of 10, block percentage of five. All these numbers are really, really good numbers. But the biggest revelation from his freshman year to his sophomore year was making 33 of 78 three-pointers where he shot like 25% his mm-hmm. freshman year. I will say this. I, I didn't watch a whole lot of college basketball, but I did watch, you know, highlight clips of him and some, and some, you know, portions of games. I think two games that stood out to me were actually both games against Mississippi State. You kind of get a good feel of how he plays the game. Runs up and down the court. Uh, he can play out of the dunker spot. He can spot up in the corner. He can play out of the post. He hits, you know, jump hooks in the paint. And then on defense, he, he competes and, and, and can test shots. So before we get into the question, where does he fit in this rotation? BG, what do you think about his overall game minus the injury when fully healthy yeah good to hear that he's been cleared for basketball activities with the foot you know obviously it was a bummer to see him not play in Vegas but as you address those games not super meaningful and he was still out there with the team so so that was that was a positive sign to see I'm a big fan of PJ Washington's skill set this was this was a prospect going into the draft that I was high on and heading into the the 12th pick the night of the draft I thought after Brandon Clark he was the second best option for Charlotte ahead of even someone like Grant Williams. I'm a big fan of PJ's skill set. As you said, not a crazy huge sample in terms of the three-point velocity, but shot a great clip from downtown. He had a monster number on spot-up, no-dribble jumpers this season, 70% effective shooting, again, on spot-up, no-dribble jumpers this season. Good offensive rebounder who shot 61% on putback attempts after an offensive rebound. And he shot pretty well at the post, 52% scoring out of the post. But, like, I think the stuff with P.J., and I've gone back and watched even more full games of his this summer while I've had some time and, you know, a bit of a lull between basketball. But going back, rewatching the UNC game, the, the LSU game, 
the both Florida games. The Louisville game I rewatched again recently too. He didn't even score much in the Louisville game, but he was just everywhere defensively. He's a very eager help defender, uh, a guy that you'll see calling out rotations and is sort of almost reacting a step ahead of the ball. And I'm excited to see that if the processing the NBA game isn't too much for him, I think he's a guy that should be not only a versatile defender, but a guy that can make sure that not only is he in the right position, but everyone else is in the right position at the right time too. I, I think he has, I think he has that kind of uh, potential. He guarded a variety of players. He over overpowered at times by bigger guys, but I thought he did pretty well uh, against a variety of player types. And we'll see how he does against NBA wings. You know, I don't think he's going to spend a ton of time playing the three, and I think he and Miles Bridges will be fairly interchangeable, which is something we've talked about. And there's going to be plenty of uh -huh. switching, and depending on the matchups, this guy will guard this guy. But Washington is not an above-the-rim athlete, but he's not a below-the-rim guy either. He plays at the rim, and he had some pretty nice alley-oop finishes in transition last season. The guy just does the little things. He's a good passer out of the post from the elbow. Kentucky ran sets where they would run Tyler Hero off a pin down and then have him go back door, and Washington would thread it from the elbow. Uh, they had plenty, again, plenty of P.J. Washington passing out of the post this season, and Kentucky scored over 1.5 points per possession when P.J. passed the ball to someone who finished out of the post this season. That was one of the best numbers in Division One basketball this season, according to Synergy. But skip passes, and the, the one thing else that, you know, PJ catches it at the at you know the the foul line extended up to the three point area. He can look opposite and hit a shooter right in his shooting pocket for a catch and shoot three. And it actually would have been nice too, you know, in an ideal world, he and Kemba would have been able to play together. And I think PJ has short roll potential too, uh, and is a guy that showed the ability, uh, some ability last season to make reads on the short roll and look opposite. And but just watch him. Watch this. Just this passing in the post. Just these little lefty drop off passes or looking opposite for a shooter. Just a young post player that that sees the entire court and is more than willing to to make uh, to to make a pass. And I think for a guy that was a blue chip recruit at a blue chip program and a high usage player, he had some games last season where again he didn't score a lot, like the Louisville game. But he was just everywhere and did a bunch of little things that helped Kentucky win games. And that's part of what made him such an intriguing prospect for me. I know that's not super exciting, but to get a guy like that at 12, I think is solid. Where does he fit on the roster this season now, though? Do you want to go ahead and turn our attention to that? Yeah, sure. I mean, and that, but that's a good point that you bring up. Like, you know, a player that doesn't always affect the game when mm -hmm. he scores. He's got to have other abilities on the court to affect the game. And it yeah. sounds like P.J. Washington can affect the game in many different ways. And you were talking about some of his passes out of the post and just doing the little things like that. And I noticed in watching the two games against Mississippi State, and I don't know if this is true for you know all of Kentucky's offense, but not that he couldn't do it on the NBA level, but I saw him setting a lot of screens off ball, not necessarily yeah, like a, a like a pick and roll. Yeah, pin yeah. downs. Mm -hmm. I think they ran some flex action as well at Kentucky. So he set those cross screens, but it'd be interesting to see how he can work in the pick and roll on the top of the key and, and the pop game as well. But yeah, let's... He's got let's that. He's got that. He has that ability, I think. Yeah. And he just did, which wasn't a huge part of uh, Kentucky's offense. Took his offense. But yeah, and I would also just throw this in there too. A, a, like I said, he, again, he's not a crazy, explosive, nuclear athlete, but 5% block rate and 1.7% steal rate, like good stocks numbers. Uh, again, for a smart defender, very willing help and switch defender... I think those are those are appealing numbers too because positionally I think he's solid, but he had some you know disruption plays last season as well too. All right, so let's answer the question: Where does PJ Washington fit into this rotation? I think he's going to be competing uh, with Miles Bridges, Marvin Williams, uh, and maybe to a certain extent MKG. But I, I yeah. think he's kind of slowly losing his role within this team when it first starts off. You know, like October, November. I think he's going to be slowly worked into the rotation, and, and that could be because of you know recovering from an injury or just being a rookie. But I think by midseason, especially if Marvin is traded, we'll start to see his playtime pick up as the season progresses. Mm -hmm. uh, it'd be interesting to see. I don't, I don't know what your thoughts on this. How much playing time do you see him getting in Greensboro? And I understand the benefits, but I'm not that big of a fan considering the situation that they're in. I would just would love to see him 
play with Miles Bridges, you know, let us let him get his feet wet in the beginning, let Marvin Williams play a little bit more than he does, but then maybe as the season progresses, flip-flop those minutes or at least kind of get them a little bit more even. And then if Marvin is off the team by February, clearly it, it's kind of all all go for P.J. Washington. So I'm hoping he gets the majority of his time here in Charlotte. Yeah, I, my, I am as well. I mean, I want to see this guy play. While I realize that there's a, there's a lot of value to be gained still, from playing in the G League, that uh, obviously I want to see him as much as possible on the the big boy club with the Hornets. And I said this on a on a pod we did earlier in the summer, but I think one of the goals for this this team is as they're working on rebuilding and hopefully collecting assets and player development would be that you need to see as much as you can of Miles Bridges together with PJ Washington this season. You got to see how those guys fit. Um, and perhaps that's going to involve PJ playing some small ball five. Like I said, he had some issues against some some bigger, more powerful guys in college. But I think there's there's potential for him as a as a small ball five. And I, you just got to see those guys play together a lot this season. Um, you know, those are the two guys that we really think right now are solid as far as uh, on as on the solid fits on the Hornets roster going forward. Even with some of the positional and size overlap that they have, you know, that, that's those two straight lottery picks. They're the two of the younger guys on the roster. The Hornets have more cost control and, and control over their contracts than anyone else on the roster. So you got to see if those two guys fit. So that would be my big thing. And you brought up a good point, too. It's A lot of it's going to depend on if and when they unload Marvin. You know, Marvin's going to play. Probably right. Yeah, you yeah, got yeah. you got to be able to see if you can feature. You know, obviously he a he's a respected veteran. B he's he might be a trade chip for you. In fact, he, he probably should be a trade chip if you're if you're being if you're being smart and thrifty. And MKG could be a trade piece as well too. But even you know, it's sort of it's almost impossible to figure out where this guy fits on this roster right now. I, I still sort of half jokingly maintain that. MKG should see minutes at the backup five this year as well. But I think as the season progresses, you're going to see less of PJ Washington potentially in Greensboro and more of him in Charlotte. And just looking at last year, Devontae Graham played 13 games for the Swarm in Greensboro, 34 minutes a night in those thir- in those 13 games, 13 starts. You know, I could see that for PJ. If he, assuming he's healthy, right? And if you are going to have him down in the in the G League, yeah, I think he's a guy that's going to play 30 minutes a game, 30 35 minutes a game. But 35 is probably pushing it. But in that 30 yeah. minute range, and if he's a, if he's with Charlotte, and if he's in the rotation, I think in that 15 to 25 minute rotation range, coming off the bench at the three, really at the four, but again, there's going to be so much uh, switching and positional uh, oh, you know, variability, and again, some of maybe even some of him playing at the small ball five, that I think he's going to get to those, that 15, 20, 25 minutes a game, hopefully by the end of the season. All right, let's transition to one stinging question for Terry Rozier. Uh, Scary Terry definitely has some big shoes to fill as he's coming in and trying to replace Kimball Walker, clearly not the same player, uh, but we do need to debate, Brian, if there's any glimmer of hope that he can add something to this team as he's entering the season on a three-year deal at the age of 25. The one time that Terry Rozier did show something in the NBA happened to be when Kyrie went down uh, with about 15 games left in the 2017-18 season, Mm -hmm. and he went on to average 16 points a game in the playoffs. And the Celtics were one game away from the NBA Finals that season. So one of our listeners, uh, Corbin Ford, asked us to do a deep dive for Terry Rozier. Uh, we don't have the time to do that, nor do we think that'd be the best idea. <laughs> but let's let's pose this question for Terry Rozier for this season. What is his biggest strength heading into the season? And I, I think hmm. clearly he has a lot of holes in his game. He's not shot the ball over 40% since entering the league four years ago. He kind of comes and goes on the defensive end. He's inconsistent. He doesn't draw a ton of fouls. He's not mm-hmm. really a true point guard. Uh, but, BG, we've got to find some positives with this guy because we're moving forward with him for about three years, and that, that's how long his contract is. So right. I do feel like his he does have a couple of bright spots, Brian. Uh, he's a low turnover guy, doesn't commit a ton of fouls. He does force some steals. For the most part, his shot profile is pretty good. But I, to me, as weird as this sound, I think his biggest strength is his ability to rebound the ball. 
Now, I know that's not something that you would want to see out of a guard or maybe not something that you want that to be their top strength out of a guard, but I think it can translate to good things happening on the court. I mean, the obvious would be, you know, limiting the team to one shot, but the the, the non-obvious one is getting those more transition opportunities with this younger roster, getting out and run and getting up and get easy baskets out in the open court. And you're not having to get the ball from a big to start Mm -hmm. your primary break. So that's one thing that I can kind of just narrow it down. I think Terry Rozier's biggest strength is his rebounding. There are some other highlights here and there, but Brian, give me your biggest strength for Terry Rozier. Yeah, I think you you sort of hinted at it a little bit there. It's that he's got good size and athleticism for the point guard position, right? And he's still young. He's just 25. The, the, Counter to that, unfortunately, is that there is four years worth of data, including lots of playoff action, that says this guy is not a very good basketball player at the NBA level. Granted, totally different set of circumstances here in Charlotte, different role, different franchise goals with what the Hornets have going forward for the next couple of years, too. You know, I don't think it's going to look super pretty with with Terry Rozier, but he's going to get plenty of opportunities, and you're going to certainly know just exactly what kind of player this guy is, if not in the next couple of months. If we don't know that already, it's just going to be further confirmed to us because, again, most of the numbers are not very favorable to Terry Rozier. But some of the other stuff that I would bring up that's on a smaller sample size but is not bad in terms of offensive impact, he shot 35% on threes out of the pick and roll this past season, just 31 attempts. So not crazy volume. That number is obviously going to go way up next this season. Uh, 0.93 points per possession out of the pick and roll as a ball handler. It's really not that good, but it's not terrible either. So we're okay with that. 49% effective shooting coming off of screens. I don't know how much we're going to see of that this year unless he's right. playing with Devonte or Malik Monk. Etc. Miles Bridges is handling at times too, but you know I think obviously Terry Rozier is going to be the guy that leads the Hornets in touches per game, in time of possession, dribbles, etc. Uh, 56% effective shooting on spot up no dribble jumpers in the half court, which is pretty good. And I, this is like a little interesting too. These, these are sort of noisy, but just his splits with Kyrie last season. So this is with Kyrie off the court. Uh, with Rozier on, Kyrie off, the the Celtics were hammered. They really struggled to score when Kyrie sat. They were minus 94 points in these minutes. But Rozier, 41% shooting from the field, 39% shooting on threes, 51% effective shooting, 19% usage rate. Then flip it. Uh, these are the minutes with Rozier on and Kyrie Irving on as well. Celtics plus 55 in those minutes. But Rozier's individual shooting numbers and usage number way down. 31% shooting from the field, 23% on threes, 37% effective shooting, and just a 14% usage rate. Uh, that is a number that he's going to wave bye-bye to this season. Um, yeah, look, Rozier really struggles to finish from most levels of the court. He's just not that great of a shooter, although from some areas he's he's okay. Uh, he's bad at the rim, 46% effective. Oh, yeah. He's, 40, he's bad, yeah. yeah. 46% shooting at the rim. Um, off dribble jumpers in the half court last season. This is where Kemba made his money the last couple of years. Terry Rozier... Uh, with a scary Terry number of 37% effective shooting on off-dribble numbers. And he had just 14 games last season in which he had at least 20% usage rate and uh, effective shooting of at least 50% too. So, and he's just, he's not a very good passer. He, he does not have very, play with very good vision um, in a system in Boston that had pretty good spacing and had good teammates around him and stuff like that. And he was well-drilled and well-coached. Uh, guy that takes a lot of questionable shots and, and just is sort of blind to to teammates that are in better positions. So, yeah, as far as the the, the question for Rozier, what's his biggest <laughs> right. strength? And again, I would say it's that he has good size, decent athleticism, and he's still young. Um, the only concern would be that he, he may already be a finished product because he's played a yeah. lot of basketball before he got to before he got to the NBA. Uh, at, at Louisville, and then since he got to the NBA, four full seasons and trips to the playoffs. This guy might be a finished product. So to hand him $18 million a year and a usage rate in the 20 to 25% range is is a, maybe a little scary. A little scary, Terry. Yeah, yeah. We're, we're good, good news, Brian, is uh, we don't have Kyrie on the roster. So that, that's some good news. <laughs> yeah, so those, right. Those, those splits that's right. Uh, will definitely improve. Yeah, uh, perfect. 
Yeah, let's take a break real quick, and then we'll get back into some more uh, players on the Hornets roster. I know Spencer and I use Harry's razors. Brian, have you used Harry's razors at all? Are we still trying to convert you here? You, uh, you guys have you guys have worn me down, and I'm I'm getting ready to be converted to this very soon. <laughs> okay, but if you guys visit the website, you can check out all the different kinds of shave sets and face care products Harry's has. Join the 10 million who have tried Harry's and claim your special offer by going to harrys.com slash bluewire. Harry's founders were just two regular guys tired of getting ripped off and paying for overpriced razors. They make quality, durable blades at a fair price, just $2 per blade. If you don't love your shave, let them know and they'll give you a full refund. This fall, refresh your wallet and your face with a Harry's trial set. It comes with a weighted handle for an easy grip, a five blade razor and a trimmer blade, rich lathering shave gel, and a travel blade cover. Listeners of our show can redeem their trial set at harrys.com backslash blue wire. Make sure to go to harrys.com backslash blue wire to redeem your offer and let them know we've sent you to help support the show. At the end of a hard week, it's great to sit down, take some time off, and watch some football. Game winning touchdowns on two minute drives. Running backs racing down the sidelines with no one to stop them. There's nothing else like the NFL. And there's no better way to make the games even more exciting than to bet on them. So do the smart thing and go to mybookie.ag. No one gives you more ways to win than they do. MyBookie's got the fastest payouts and better lines than any other sports book. Don't forget, when you're betting, it's just as important as who you're betting on. And mybookie.ag is the best in the business. It's where we play and where you should too. We wouldn't be telling you guys to bet with them if they weren't the best. Do the smart thing. If you're going to bet this football season, bet with my bookie. If you're the kind of guy that likes to bet a little and win a lot, try a parlay. If all your picks come through, you'll multiply your winnings. And no matter how you bet, the NFL season is the best time of the year. Join now and MyBookie will double your first deposit. Use promo code BLUEWIRE to activate the offer. That's promo code BLUEWIRE, no space in between. Visit MyBookie.ag today. You play, you win, you get paid. All right, so let's jump back into one stinking question with Billy Hernan Gomez. Hernan Gomez played in 58 games this past season. That was actually the most since his rookie season. He showed some flashes out of the pick and roll. He showed some flashes out of the post. And he's proven to be a factor on the glass. But his biggest pitfall has always been on the defensive side. So the question that needs to be asked, the one stinging question for Billy Hernan Gomez, does his offense outweigh his defensive downfalls? Brian, I'm going to let you lead this one off, and what do you say to that question? Yeah, I'll be fairly quick here because I've made my stance on on, on Aaron Gomez's defense plenty of times, and I look like he did. He had some good moments for Spain in, in the World Cup this summer, and that, that's good for him. Willie's clearly a, a skilled, big, strong guy. Uh, I think he's got pretty good hands, and he's shown the ability to, to step away and, and shoot some threes and stuff too, and as you said, some decent work out of the pick and roll last season. Uh, on pick and pops, not crazy good numbers, 41% effective shooting, but out of rolls to the basket, um, really not that good either. 52% uh, shooting, 1.02 points per possession. And when he slipped the pick, though, 1.67 points per possession, 71% shooting. Some of those are also three-pointers slipping high ball screens to shoot threes. Uh, you know, Willie's, again, I think there's some skill and some some value he brings offensively, but I I don't any he, he, he does some decent work on the offensive glass too. But no, he, he's so bad defensively. This guy's one of the really struggles guarding ball screens, it, like a lot of young big centers do. But at, at times, I think this is ultimately what cost him is his job and the rotation was he just he struggled to play in space and it just felt like every time you could involve him in a ball screen or. You know, sometimes Malik Monk and Frank Kaminsky when he was floating in and out mentally, like just a layup line at the rim for the Hornets, and and so yeah, I just don't think with 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 Aaron and Gomez, the you've got to really be a special offensive player to to have it truly outweigh bad uh-huh. defense if you're going to be like a rotation big, you know. Um, think about what Jonas Valanciunas was with the the Raptors before he he was traded last season, um, and he's much better defensively than than Aaron Gomez. So no, to me it does not 
But um, yeah, this will be this will be an interesting season for uh, Aaron and Gomez in Charlotte. Yeah, I really think it could be argued that Billy was probably one of the worst defensive centers, like bottom bottom yeah. five in the league last year, especially ones that got significant minutes. Like I'm not talking about the ones that, you know, just come in for a couple minutes a game, but like one that saw significant minutes, it probably could be argued that he was one of the worst defensive centers in the league. Yeah. Uh, like Brian stated, his pick and roll defense was lacking. Just overall, his defense was an issue. I, I looked it up on uh, B-Ball Index and they're a great resource. Yep. Defensive player impact plus minus DPIPM uh, was a minus 1.18. And just to let you guys know about the uh, player impact plus minus, it does factor the on-off-court stats uh, and that type of data, but it also adjusts for luck. To me, it's probably a better indicator of uh, how players play on defense. And and that number basically is not good. It's in the bottom bottom third of, of centers when it comes to that number. But plain and simple, this guy is just not a good player on the defensive end. Hopefully he can improve. He's definitely somebody that kind of fits the the age range of the players that are on this team. You know, the team was worse when he was out there on the defensive end. And to answer the question, Brian, same as you, I agree. No, I mean, it. it his offense does not outweigh his defensive downfalls. And he just needs to produce more on the offensive side to, to kind of maybe make this even a conversation or at least produce more on the def- defensive side to kind of make it more yeah. of a, a conversation. And well, you did mention him being someone as uh, that can shoot the ball from on the arc, but he really didn't do it with a lot of volume. No, not you know at I mean? all. So like the number looked good, the, the efficiency looked good, but when you look at the actual volume, it just wasn't enough. I think he, he just needs to get better at a lot of things. And I know he's young, but the defensive downfalls – makes him unplayable at times. Any, any other thoughts on Hernan Gomez? Yeah, just real quickly. I, again, the, the pick-and-roll ball screen coverage, even when he's playing it very conservatively, um, is just a problem for him. Everything's happening too fast. Guys are you know, running past him or driving past him, and it, yeah, it's just not good. I just looked this up on Synergy. Uh, last season in the NBA, there were 70 players. Uh, this is like fours and fives uh, mm-hmm. guarding pick-and-roll ball screens. Ball handlers scored 1.02 points per possession against Willie when he was the big man defending this screen roll. Uh, of the 79 players, that was I guess? second to last. Only Tristan oh. Thompson was worse. And uh, those were the only two players in the NBA that. Oh, this is of guys that guarded at least 200 of these possessions gotcha. last season. Gotcha. So I filtered for that. Um, those were the only two guys that allowed over one point per possession in these situations. And again, there's some noise with some of the synergy numbers, but um, if you look at the top and the bottom of the list, you will the names they line up with who you would expect to be uh, bookending this list. And so, yeah, for me, Willie, not worth it. Yeah. All right. Let's transition to the last player that we're going to get to for one stinging question on this uh, episode: Dwayne Bacon, uh, entering his third season, coming off a very strong. Sophomore campaign, absolutely killed it at the rim, absolutely killed it from deep. Uh, according to Cleaning Glass, he shot 68% within four feet of the hoop and 43% from deep. Uh, guess what, guys? Those numbers are definitely going down. But he is going to be more a focal point of this team. Kemba, Lamb, no longer part of this team. Those are your two top scores from last season. They're gone. Now the focus is being shifted to these youngsters. Our burning question for Bacon is, do we think that he is going to lead the team in scoring? And I'm not talking about efficiency or how pretty it is, but like just looking at the counting numbers, BG, I'll let you start off on this. Bacon, does he lead this team in scoring? Oh, boy. Yeah, it's, it's tough. It, it's He's certainly in the conversation. I will say... I will say no. I think it's gonna it'll be Rozier, but it, it's one of those two guys. Bacon around seventeen percent, you know, usage rate last season. I mean, that's about to go through the roof. So, like you said, the efficiency numbers uh, those are about to to drop off here. But yeah. I, I like a lot of what Dwayne did offensively last season, um, especially the final you know, four to six weeks. And, and there was some good stuff in summer league, even if as Spencer has pointed out, his defense in Vegas lacked good on spot up possessions that were basket drives last season, 35% of his spot up possessions. This is like him, you know, attacking closeouts. This is why he paired so well with, with Kemba at the end of the season. He and Bridges really did a wonderful job attacking, you know, after Kemba would create some advantage, those guys attacking bent defenses. But in those on those possessions, 
Bacon over 1.25 points per possession, 63% shooting. You know, I think he's going to be playing on ball more this year, more pick and roll. Uh, I don't think that's necessarily what he's suited for, but there's a lot of lot of possessions, a lot of pick and roll opportunity that's up for grabs. And I think you know you're going to see Rozier, Monk, and Bacon jostling for controls of that of the offense all season. It's not going to be. Uh, real pretty, but uh, yeah, I think he has a very good chance going into a free agency year to to put up some counting stats and perhaps lead the team in scoring. But no, I'll say Terry Rozier. Okay, I mean, I went back and forth on this between those two, and you know, I feel like you could also make a case, Brian, maybe for Miles Bridges. I know that he's a player that doesn't see the ball a whole lot, yeah, but I, I just feel like the game comes easier to Miles. Like he's just a more versatile player. I think Bacon's going to have to grind a little bit more, knowing that the ball is going to be in his hand a, a whole lot more. Um, and I think just Miles Bridges, his athletic ability can kind of carry him farther and maybe allow him to score more points than maybe one would expect out of him. Yeah. I think he's going to shoot the ball well from behind the arc. I'm not going to say Miles Bridges, but I, I think there's going to be a chunk of players up towards the top where it, they're not really separated by a lot of points per game, if you know what I mean. So I think, you know, you got Bacon, you got Rozier, you got Monk, but I, I think you could make the case for Miles Bridges. But to answer the question, if I if you had a gun to my head, I will say Bacon will lead the team in scoring. I just think his efficiency numbers are going to drop, yeah. uh, you know, not significantly, but a good amount. And I just think he's going to have a harder time getting off open looks. And like you said, Brian, the way that he performed last year might be because of the fact that Kimball Walker was on the court with him. And he was able to kind of attack closeouts a little bit better because the ball was in Kimba's hand. Now this year, Bacon's going to see the ball a little bit more. And I, I do think it's going to be a grind for him a little bit more. And that's why Miles Bridges, to me, could be the beneficiary of you know some of these broken defenses. And he, he can break it down that way. So any thoughts on Miles Bridges kind of working his way up to the, the team and lean scoring? Or yeah, no? I just enlist. I suppose there's a, a non-zero but incredibly low probability scenario that Miles makes, you know, just a massive and massive jump, one that we can't predict, right? You know, like maybe David is a really, really, real small glimmer of hope there. I, I, I'm not holding, holding my breath. I'm not predicting that. But perhaps that's there. And perhaps just Miles in a, in a in a vacuum of leadership and a vacuum of usage, he steps up. And I don't, I don't, I like. There's a lot of things to like about Miles Bridges' game. I don't think it's the fact that oh, this guy has crazy scoring potential. I think no, it's so no. much of the other stuff that he does, though. But I will say, I feel like the game comes easier to him, or at least like just his athletic ability and just his ability to kind of um, yeah. you know score in, in a variety of ways might benefit him a little bit more than Bacon. But I still do think that Bacon's going to lead this team yeah. in scoring. So let's wrap up that segment and hit one last piece. Uh, this was an article in the Charlotte Observer. I-, I joked with you, this happened two weeks ago. It's just now kind of hitting national airwaves here. Zach Lowe and Kevin Arnovitz had a, a podcast a couple days ago uh, discussing cup check and Borrego's comments in the Charlotte Observer. Zach Lowe always seems to take shots at Charlotte. <laughs> and he's taking a shot at Mitch for saying that he was blindsided by Kimba and the fact that he made the All-NBA team. And we can debate whether that's a lie or, or he was naive or dumb or whatever you want to say. I don't think that we can believe him that he actually thinks that he was blindsided. So, BG, is, is this a lie or do you think he's really that naive? Yeah, and I, and I should point out that the this is not a direct quote, but from, from Bunnell's piece, one of the paragraphs in the Charlotte Observer, Bunnell's piece says, Kupchak told the Observer, this was an exclusive interview that he did, Kupchak told the Observer that the Hornets were somewhat blindsided by Walker making All-NBA and thus becoming Supermax eligible. So I have a couple things. I just assume it's a lie. And I would really prefer for, uh, in, in an effort to have transparency and have honesty to executives to of, of major sports franchises, just not lie and think that we're so dumb to believe it. Um, look, if you were paying attention to this team, and I'm sure Mitch Kupchak, as the key decision maker for the Hornets on literally everything, was has as has as much information as anyone, if not perhaps way more than anyone, could have on this situation. But even just, Richie, you, Spencer, myself, us talking about this all last season on the podcast last season. I remember having Christian Winfield then from SB Nation on to talk about this. It was like, they the NBA has to pick six of these guys. Right. He's right on the line. Like, he's, he's the set, sixth, seventh, or eighth guy. He's somewhere in that. And all it, all it had to take was a strong finish to the season, which Kim, by the way, had. 
And that could have been enough to just give him a couple more votes and get him onto the third team. So I don't know how you could possibly realistically be blindsided by it. That seems <laughs> I, I just can't suspend my disbelief long enough to actually try to maybe see where Mitch has come from there. Again, I, I assume that's a that's a, a, a lie, a fib, a stretch, whatever. And, and I just wish he wouldn't do that to the media. The one thing I'll I'll say though is I don't know if it even really that specifically, and, and I have no problem with with Zach uh, and, and Kevin uh, taking shots for at, at Mitch for this. Like that, it, it, he's left himself open to open, you know, open to be to be ripped on here. But my thing would be I don't even know if, if Kemba hitting All NBA and making the Supermax was in, in the Hornets being caught off guard by that or whatever. I, you know, uh-huh. I don't know if that was even necessarily the issue. I mean, they were clearly never going to go to 220. And I mean, again, if he doesn't qualify for all NBA, they can still offer him 190, 190 your normal, you know, 190, 192, your normal five year, you know, 30% bird right max contract. But based off every report I've read, they didn't get close to that number. You know, there's a difference of 30, 20, million? Yeah, 20, 30 million dollars. Most of the reports I've read have just said they stopped at 160 over five, which was which was going to be a deal breaker from the beginning. And that and that gets into that gets into a, a, a bigger, bigger issue I had with all of this that, that, I'll, that I'll bring up here in a second. But if that's the case, then it doesn't even matter that you were caught off guard by him being, you know, if you weren't going to get anywhere close to the 190 number, then then you were definitely leaving the door open for him to walk at the end of the season, which is exactly what happened. But so the bigger question, the, my bigger issue is this, which is that if, if and just follow me with this here, if there's if we can agree that there's no realistic way the Hornets should have been caught off guard by this, and if we can also agree that the Hornets were a not going to get cl- anywhere close to that two hundred twenty million dollar number. They weren't going to get anywhere close to the one ninety one ninety two number, and that and the you know again your thirty percent max number. Then why then then the issue is why the hell wasn't this guy traded? And we've we've yeah. been we asked that after it happened. We've been banging the drum for two years leading up to it. You just you can't not max out your star players and then but then also let them walk for nothing like that's exactly what you can't do especially as a small market team in the nba and this was one of the quotes that that bothered me a little bit this is a mitch cup check quote here it is quote almost every author revolved around draft picks this is this is them talking about trading kemba uh leading into the 2019 deadline i believe Almost every offer revolved around draft picks. It was a lot. Of, it was it was always lottery protected. When you do something like that, you're saying you're going to draft a player in the teens. We don't know how good he's going to be, and it's going to take three or four years to realize value. We wanted to keep Kemba under the right conditions, but there were no right conditions. Like that's the problem. And you, well, one sixty, right? Yeah, a number that <laughs> yeah, yeah. was just a total deal breaker. No. You wanted to chase. You didn't want to trade him for the All Star game, but you also should have moved him the year before. And you wanted to chase the eighth seed in the playoffs so you could get the playoff revenue. And I just wish that's what Mitch Kupchak would come out and say. And guess what, buddy? A lottery protected first round pick. That ain't so bad, by the way. That's pretty good. It's as Zach Lowe said. It's better than better than, Rozier. Better than yeah. doing a, a weak sign and trade and then agreeing to pay Terry Rozier. $55 million over three years or whatever. Like that, that, that's the issue. It's not just like him lying about being blindsided. It's, it's the root of what the frustration is. I also think, you know, Zach Lowe and Arnovitz got on Kupchak for not moving Kemba the year prior. Well, it's also like, you know, Mitch Kupchak, to be, to be fair to him, he wasn't he here. Wasn't he wasn't, he yeah. wasn't there. And then if you're, if you're, if one of the reasons why you're worried about pulling a string on a, on a middle of the first round draft pick is because you think it's going to take, three to four years for that guy to get on into the NBA player. Well, like, buddy, if you trade Kemba, you're rebuilding. That's the timeline. Um, yeah. Like it or not. And you know, you should know that better than freaking anyone. You've been in a basketball executive for 30 years now. And so I found all of that pretty frustrating. And I did also think it was interesting that Lowe mentioned that he didn't like say this with 100%, you know, I'm sticking to this point, but he was basically saying he added on pretty good word that if the Hornets could have moved him before the 2018 deadline as Cleveland's desperately trying to summon up a roster around LeBron before he leaves town, they probably uh-huh. could have gotten the number eight pick. 
in the NBA yeah. draft, if not yeah. for that. I mean, that is, I mean, just what a fail, a fail job by this organization here. Yeah. And again, that was not Mitch Kupchak, right. but the, the, the following season, you know, th- these are his excuses that he's making that they were surprised by the Supermax. To me, that doesn't make a whole lot of sense because I felt like he played better in the beginning of the season. D- didn't you think so? Like Kimball Walker played better? I thought he bookended the- it with his best. Like I thought he was great at the end of the year and he was he was obviously red hot at the start. And he, I think he wore down yeah. in the middle of the season. Well, but I guess what I'm saying is like you can't be blindsided by it. If you're like exiting December, we're talking about Kimball Walker making all NBA yeah. team. There was like not doubt, but we we had discussions about it maybe in February about there being doubt, but like there should not be any blindside because the conversation was being had, and and you're exactly right. They should have traded him, but basically it's almost like they treated last season as not like a wasted season, but they they just wanted to go all in, see what they could do with Kimba, and then cut ties with him and make up some kind of excuse about being blindsided yeah. by the supermax. And I, I think what's interesting too about some of these comments that he's making in this Charlotte Observer article. And this is kind of like an overarching theme that our organization keeps putting out there. It's that Mitch keeps talking about youth and development and about not being able to be a team or an organization that's able to get the big fish in free agency. Well, if you're not going to be a player in free agency, and you and you should have known this before this offseason, yeah. then why aren't you trying to acquire picks? Like I, I guess yeah. if you're saying free agency is the, isn't the path, then acquiring picks even if it's lottery protected, is the way to go. It just doesn't add up. There's a lot of double talk here, right? There's a lot of double talk. It doesn't all add up, and it's because they're not being truthful. And it's one thing thing to mess up uh, spectacularly, as they did with Kemba, the best player in the franchise history, but you're not doing yourself any favors at all if you're having trouble getting your message out to the media Afterwards, now there was some good stuff that Mitch Kupchak said in this article about them, you know, looking they're going to harvest that cap space so they can use it to perhaps acquire a draft. I mean, saying the right things now, but you know, man, I, I you know, I think I just think in terms of trust equity, it's it's got to be a little low right now. Um, even if Kupchak has done some good things and said some good things since he got to town. You know, he definitely is saying some of the right things now, but he could have jump-started this process of rebuilding if he would have kind of seen ahead into the future as to what was going to happen. So we're going to wrap this episode up. There was one player that we meant to get to on this episode, Devontae Graham, but we'll hold off on his one stinging question for next episode. Thanks again, guys, for tuning in to another episode of BuzzBeat. Moving forward, like I mentioned on last week's episode, our plan is to stick to uh, Wednesday releases, so you guys know exactly when the episodes will drop. Uh, There are some big things in the works with our network, Blue Wire, so don't want to give too much away, uh, but there's a good chance you're going to see exclusive bonus content from us beginning in 2020. Uh, As always, we'd appreciate a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts. So go ahead and take that minute out of your day and do that for us. It goes a long way. For Brian, I'm Richie. We'll see you guys next time. Go Hornets. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.